we hear is podcasting caca. <laughs> it's so accurate. Right? Okay. So, on that note, pun intended, <laughs> welcome to another episode of Screen Fix, where we will fix a recent film. I am your host, JC, and with me, as always, is the co-host that carries the show. Here she is, everyone. Lady Juan, say hello. Hello, everybody. Do you like classic rock? Yes, I do. Do you like biopics of classic rock bands? Apparently not. <laughs> well, you're in luck because you're a co-host of a show that fixes films. And today we're doing a classic rock biopic. We will be fixing a paint-by-numbers, very fictional account <laughs> of the rise and troubles, if there really were any, of the classic rock legendary band Queen. Are you a Queen fan? My dad wouldn't have it any other way. Ooh. <laughs> oh, my dad loves Queen forever. He was recently bragging on Facebook about how as soon as he heard Sheer Heart Attack on his friend's 8-track in his Corvette, he had to go out and buy it immediately. So... My dad's pretty cool. Him and every other 70s greaser. <laughs> the film is called Bohemian Rhapsody. And cue trailer. Is this the real life? Is this just fantasy? Going the last life. No escape from enjoyed the show. I also write songs. Our lead singer just quit. Then you'll need someone new. I love the way you move on stage. The whole room belongs to you. Don't you see what you could be? No one will play us on the radio. We need to get experimental. Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Do it again. One more. How many more Galileos do you want? Roger, there's only room in this band for one hysterical queen. Let me go! go. Mark these words. No one will play queen. Oh. Ready, Freddy? Let's do it. You need to slow down, Fred. I just need a bit of time. What if I don't have time? Okay, Bohemian Rhapsody is, of course, about British rock band Queen. It largely focuses on the larger-than-life frontman, Freddie Mercury. The movie was directed by Brian Singer. Ish. He was let go from the production. Uh, I believe he filmed like three quarters of it, and then they brought in Dexter Fletcher, who is the Helmer of the Helmer. Is that a thing? Helmer's like, glue? Yeah. That's what he did. <laughs> Helmer's glue. Yeah, he did. Yeah. 
<laughs> anyway, he came in to uh, helm the rest of the film and put it together. He's also the person behind the Elton John biopic that is coming out, which is called what? Rocket Man. Another biopic that just takes the name of a song and is like, yeah, yeah, that's the name. They're like, you get it, right? Basically, everybody has universal praise for Rami Malek as Mercury. Uh, it also has Willem Lee as Brian May, Queen's lead guitarist. Uh, ben Hardy as Roger Taylor, Queen's drummer. <laughs> uh, Joseph Mazzello. As John Deacon, Queen's bass guitarist. Where's Joseph Mazzello from? Lady Juan, you found out this today. This blew my mind when you told me this today. He's the kid from Jurassic Park. Yeah. I still can't accept this as information. He's the dinosaur-obsessed uh, grandchild of John Hammond. Gotta get Tim. insane. Uh, Lucy Boynton plays Mary Austin, which is Mercury's uh, girlfriend. Aidan Gillen is John Reed, Queen's manager. Tom Hollander is Jim Beach, Queen's lawyer turned manager. Alan Leach as Paul Prenter, Mercury's personal manager. Mike Myers makes a cameo as Ray Foster, uh, an EMI executive. Aaron McCusker is Jim Hutton, Mercury's love interest. The film had been in various states of being and production stops and starts for a long time at one point Sasha Baron Cohen had been tied to the project eventually Brian May and Roger Taylor decided that Sasha Baron Cohen was too much of a known personality with the Ali G and the Borat and that uh, perhaps he would be distracting in the role interesting but I did see uh, an interview with Baron Cohen on Howard Stern and he talks about how at one point the members of the band had mentioned that they didn't really want to focus on the darker aspects of Freddie Mercury's life and that they even said that they wanted to perhaps have the first half of the film be about Freddie Mercury and the second half of the film be about the band carrying on without Freddie Mercury. A member of the band, I won't say who, said... Brian um, May. <laughs> I won't say who. Yeah. But he said, you know, this is such a great movie because it's got such an amazing thing happens in the middle of the movie. Uh -huh. I go, well, what happens in the middle of the movie? He goes, uh... You know, Freddie dies. And Sasha Baron Cohen was like, nobody wants to watch that. <laughs> <laughs> We've both seen it. Bohemian Rhapsody. How did this film do, Lady One Go? Give us those fresh hot stats. So this movie opened November 4th to 51 million in the U.S., which came in at number one for the weekend. And it opened to an additional 94 million overseas. The budget for production was 52 million. Audiences are going to go see it. Uh, when they leave the theater, how are they feeling about it? Do you have some uh, tomatoes? Tomato, tomato? <laughs> I have both tomatoes and popcorn because this is just 60% fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. And it was wavering like rotten during uh, just as only critics were seeing it. Yeah, it like inched up to that 60 right before it opened. Yeah, it's just there. But the audience score, which is that popcorn, that's 95%. Like most people are walking out like really, really happy. Yeah, that's uh, my audience was the same way. I saw it to a packed house, IMAX. Gotta see it in IMAX. My crowd was laughing at everything Freddie Mercury said. There was clapping for songs. There was some, the guy next to me looked like a total grouch guy when I first got there. And uh, he was giggling like a child throughout this uh, this movie. Oh, that makes me yes. happy for him. <laughs> 
how was your audience during this one? My uh, theater was definitely on the empty side. I don't know, maybe like 30 or 40, which is not a lot for an IMAX theater. I mean, this place is big. Was IMAX the proper format to see it in? I mean, if you're already on the hook for at least 12 bucks, you might as well just spend an extra couple of dollars and just, you know, like buy your popcorn at the dollar store and sneak it in instead of buying concessions there. I sneak in Chick-fil-A nuggets. I have definitely brought in waffle fries before. It's really, it's really (laughs) bad. For sure. All right, ready? Chick-fil-A sneaking in pro tip. Go to Mm Chick-fil-A. When you order the nuggets, don't have them put it in the box. Have them put it in one of the foil sandwich bags. Yeah, same with the fries. Roll the sandwich bag up. Put it in your pocket. Nobody will know that there's nuggets in there. And then walk in and enjoy your nuggets, my friend. That got me through the Hobbit movie marathon, by the way. (laughs) I survived on nuggets alone for many, many hours. Are you a Queen fan? I'm a fan in that I enjoy the hits, but I'm not going to claim to have like some deep catalog knowledge. That would be an insult to people like my dad who do have it. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, when I was a, a little kid, I had this one friend. It was Anthony. The first time I ever went to spend the night at Anthony's house because you get, you know, you have sleepovers when you're a kid. Uh-huh. I remember this guy, Anthony, loved Queen so much. He had every album. He played me everything Queen. And I, at that point in my life, was not ready to fully get it. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like, of course, I'm at that age where I went to see Wayne's World. Yep. And I remember seeing the movie and I bought the soundtrack because everybody bought the soundtrack and it had Bohemian Rhapsody on it. And I feel like everyone was obsessed with that song when Wayne's World came out. Yes. And then I really started to dive into their catalog. Love Queen. Think they're, they definitely deserve a place amongst all the uh, greatest rock bands of all time. I definitely understand some of the criticism they got. They have songs that will sound like the most beautiful, most creative song in the entire world. And then they'll have songs like I Love My Car. <laughs> and <laughs> so I love them. I have a special place for Queen. So how about before we fix this movie, how about I give a a brief rundown of of this here plot? Okay, sure. So the film starts with Queen about to start their live aid performance at Wembley Stadium in 1985. And then we fade out and we're in the 70s now. Farak Bulsara, who is an Indian-British Parsi college student, uh, is working at Heathrow Airport, throwing bags in airplanes. But after he's done, he goes to a nightclub to watch a local band called Smile. Uh, After the show, he meets guitarist Brian May and drummer Roger Taylor. Right after their lead singer, Tim Staffel, has quit to join a band called Humpy Bong. (laughs) He wins them over by basically describing them to themselves and also by giving a uh, his own rendition of one of their songs briefly in the parking lot, a la Star is Born. They add bassist John Deacon and they change their name to Queen because it's outrageous and royal. (laughs) Uh, They play gigs across England. They sell their van to make it their debut album. And then they get a contract with EMI Records. Uh, Around that time, Farrakh legally changes his name to Freddie Mercury and becomes engaged to Mary Austin, a girl that uh, we met earlier in the movie. The band ends up touring the U.S. Freddie sees a trucker, a gay trucker, go into a bathroom, and Freddie's like, mm mm-hmm. uh, Then they record their fourth album, A Night at the Opera, but the EMI executive, Ray Foster, played by the distracting Mike Myers, doesn't want to play this six-minute song, and the band leaves, and they're like, you're going to be known as the guy who lost Queen, and they throw a brick in the window, and <laughs> Cap Capital Radio DJ Kenny Everett plays the song on the airwaves with Freddie flirting. 
Um, and of course, Bohemian Rhapsody is a huge hit. The band goes on a world tour. Then Freddie begins an affair with Paul Prenter, uh, who becomes his personal manager. Mary and Freddie break up when he comes out to her as bisexual, uh, although she tells him he's gay and it's not his fault. The band uh, continues their rise to fame into the 80s, but there are tensions with the band over the direction of the music. Freddie starts to party hard, and he's doing drugs, and he's partying. And he has a mustache now. And he starts crushing on Jim Hutton, one of the waiters at one of his parties. Uh, Jim tells him to come find him when he learns to like himself. So the band makes this uh, club album called Hot Space. It's not successful and Freddie is being bombarded with interview questions and he's flipping out and he's being rude because the questions are about his life and personal things. Freddie, concerning your private life. What more do you need to know? I make music. And then Freddie tells the band that he has signed a deal with CBS Records to do two solo albums and that CBS is going to pay him $4 million which is more than Queen ever got for any of their albums. He moves to Munich to work on that album, the solo one. It's called Mr. Bad Guy, and he continues his debauchery. One night, Mary shows up, tells him that she's pregnant, and tells him to return to the band because they have been offered a spot in Live Aid. And he realizes that uh, Paul has not told him about Live Aid. Freddie in the rain without looking at him <laughs> once tells him that things are done and then he goes walking off I don't know where he's going he, he he's he's got to live in a very rich neighborhood where there's nothing around but right <laughs> He just kind of walks off. Before Live Aid, there's a scene where Freddie has checked himself into a 28 days later medical facility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just him and uh, one doctor and one random patient just chilling in the hallway. That's it. Who very <laughs> cheesily, <laughs> this patient goes, hey, yo. <laughs> it's... It's uh, it's bad. Oh, uh, so he discovers that he is infected with the disease, however. He goes to London and asks for his band to forgive him. And they, of course, reconcile. They're given a slot in Live Aid at the last minute, of course. Freddie tells his bandmates that he has AIDS while they are rehearsing for it. They all hug it out. Then he goes and he reunites with the waiter he met once in the film, way earlier. <laughs> like several years before. Yes. But he goes and knocks on his door and is like, sup? <laughs> <laughs> and Mary is there. He also goes to visit his family. He tells his family he's doing live aid and throws the father's uh, Zoroastrianisms at him. He says, good thoughts, good words, good deeds. Uh, so because he's doing live aid, dad's all happy and is like, turn on the TV. <laughs> Queen, of course, comes out, puts on the show of their lifetimes. Their manager even turns their volume up past the stop uh, barrier level on the mixer board. Once they start playing, the, the donations just start going off the charts. Everyone was waiting. They're like, man, this concert's been boring so far. I'm not giving to these hungry Africans. And also, never mind that everyone they show is completely engaged with the performance and they literally don't show a single person calling to make a donation. There's also a ton of phones ringing. The implications of that are just awful. It's real bad. I'm not giving money to starving Africans until a good band plays. Yeah. So anyway... There it is. Oh, boy. <laughs> and that's uh, that's basically it. The The concert ends at the Live Aid. It has one of those endings where it's like, Freddie went on to do this, and this person went on to do that, and this person went on to do that. But it's uh, done. That's it. That is Bohemian Rhapsody in a nutshell. 
Now, before we just jump in and fix films, we appreciate the fact that hundreds, thousands of people are involved in making films. We want to give them their due. Lady One, what is one thing you liked about this movie? Well, obviously, I enjoyed the music. I think you'd have to be an insane person to not enjoy that aspect of the film. I can't really explain why, but the guy who played Roger, the drummer, like, he just tickled me the whole movie. Like, any line he said just made me laugh. So awesome. So you really liked the performance of that person. Yeah, I thought he was really funny. Uh, Just like everyone else who saw this movie, I really enjoyed the live aid portion Mm -hmm. of the film. I really did feel the electricity of that performance known as one of the one of the greatest rock performances of of all time i mean queen stole live aid and live aid was a who's who of every artist working to that day it was incredible i did enjoy rami malik um he embodied a lot of freddie mercury's personality i didn't think physically he was similar to freddie mercury he's a bit more of a wiry fellow than Freddie Mercury was. Romy Malik is only an inch shorter than Freddie Mercury, but I, I think Freddie Mercury's personality made him seem so much larger. But I think that as far as like capturing that that essence of his personality, I feel like Romy Malik did a fantastic job. Are you predicting Oscar? Are you predicting an Oscar nom for this, for this performance? I have to say I'm not because I don't think the movie is strong enough that the Academy would honor the performance, but for sure Golden Globe nomination because there's twice as many because they separate out musical comedy and drama. So he'll still get that. How about Joseph Mazzello? (laughs) (laughs) There isn't an award for blowing my mind that way. (laughs) Like That doesn't exist yet. I, you know, I enjoyed the entire cast of this movie very much. I thought it was well cast. And I thought uh, whenever they were performing music, I thought the movie was really great. Mm-hmm. It's it's when they were diving into the largely false story. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that. That I felt that the movie became sanitized to the detriment of the film. But without further ado, what do you say, Lady One, that we fix Bohemian Rhapsody? Yeah. Let's do it. We are the <laughs> fixers. <laughs> All right, go ahead, Lady One. Lay on us your first rock and roll fix. So early on in the movie, we see our young bag thrower, Freddie, heading out for a night to go see the band play. As he's leaving, he tells his parents he's correcting them. Uh, No, it's Freddie now. But that's like not really how this worked, which is going to be a recurring theme of our fixes today. What do you think, JC? Yeah, there are so many amazing aspects to Queen and their actual story mm-hmm. that were all left out yeah. to tell a contrived paint-by-numbers screenplay class type biopic story. Yeah, just like a real meh version of... Uh... An incredible story. So in actuality, he had been going by Freddie for years, like since boarding school. And we also get in the movie where his parents are doing the typical parent thing and brings a girlfriend over. So here's a photo album from when he's a little kid. And we see that he boxed in school. When he was in school, he boxed, he sang in the choir, he played piano, he participated in the visual arts. He won an award for being a quote all rounder because he was multi-talented and like pretty much any think he did and freddie even said about going to boarding school that he didn't see his parents that 
Dotson, and that helped him a lot as he learned to fend for himself. And like, that's the story I want to see to start things off is I want to see like little boarding school boxing Freddy. I want to see this kid who is like talented on the piano and has this incredible voice, but can also like kick your ass because if kids are making fun of him, he's not going to put up with that. So I think that would have not only helped explain all of his talent and mannerisms later, but it gives him some more backstory and character development that the movie just like gets real lazy about. Yeah. And it's interesting you brought up boxing because they could have really played that up to be how he's always been competitive and having to fight for everything that he has had. Kind of like how defeating his opponents in the ring was kind of like him always having to defeat all of his perceived opponents in life. Mm -hmm. Like it's known that when he was recording under pressure, he got very competitive with David Bowie and they were recording their parts separately in different parts of the the studio. And he actually got angry when he learned that uh, some of the bandmates and such were listening in to his side because he wanted to like shock and outdo David Bowie. And also with the Live Aid performance, like he wanted to be the best Mm -hmm. band there. Yeah. You could have tied that whole competitiveness, that fighting spirit into a lot of different aspects of of his life. Yeah. That fix was a knockout. Okay, JC. Yes, Lady One. Hit me with your first fix. Hit me with your first fix. Bam, bam. That's not Queen. No, it's not. My first fix has to do with this. Constantly in this film, they say, we're a family. We're a family. We're a family. The band says that they're a family so many times in this film. And every time they said it, I was like, ugh. Like, when have you shown me at all that your band is a family? Like, I know. I didn't see them go to Olive Garden once. You can't be a family unless you go to Olive Garden. Yeah, the breadsticks, man. Side note, whenever I go to my grandma's house, I always say, you can go out to lunch anywhere you want, grandma. Anywhere. And she always says Olive Garden. I just like Olive Garden. I think it's an old people thing. I definitely took my grandpa to Olive Garden once when I asked him, like, Papa, where do you want to go to lunch? She's like, I want to go to Olive Garden. I was like, but we don't have one here. He's like, we'll drive to Lindenhurst so we can go to the Olive Garden. Oh, my God. <laughs> he, You guys drove to an Olive Garden. We had to drive to Lindenhurst. Oh, my God. So anyway, so speaking of family... <laughs> That's what this is about. I want to see the progression of them truly becoming a family. So when they Mm -hmm. say they're family all the time, later in the film, I'll feel it more. I need to see this band struggling. And the thing is, is in this film, everything seems to come pretty easily. But this band in reality had plenty of struggles. Like what? First of all, when this band made their first EP, it went nowhere. And when they signed their first contract, it was with this place, Trident Studios. Anyway, they signed this deal that was going to plague them for years. They were broke for the early part of their career, for years. They were so broke that management was even asking Roger Taylor to stop drumming so hard because they couldn't afford drumsticks. Jeez. They had suspicion that they were getting ripped off when one of their managers bought a Rolls Royce. Meanwhile, all the members of Queen were still broke. Yikes. Their first album didn't have any real mainstream attention. That was where they released the single Keep Yourself Alive, which did not do well either. The group's second album reached number five on the British album chart. It was the first album to chart, but it really only had one hit, uh, Seven Seas of Rye. They were not a massive success. It wasn't until uh, the Sheer Heart Attack album Mm -hmm. that they really achieved success and that was that was when my dad bought the record right so it took three albums for them to finally Mm -hmm. have 
some mainstream success. And then when they did get that success, they got to tour with a band called Mott the Hoople and they toured the UK and then they landed a US tour. They had to cut that tour short because Brian May was diagnosed with hepatitis and he turned yellow. Ew. Yeah, and they had to go back to the, the UK. And you really could show a lot of these struggles when they are very, very young. Mm-hmm. these times when they're struggling are the times when they're really forming the bonds that are going to keep them together later. Right. I wanted to see their struggles really before they had their hit single Bohemian Rhapsody. And I thought maybe Bohemian Rhapsody could be the end of that act of the story. Yes. We need to see them in the lean times to appreciate the fat times. Lady One, why don't you lay on us your next fix? When they're first getting their big time manager, they say that it's John Reed and he managed Elton John and like what a big deal this meeting is and he's interested in us. And then, you know, we see this old dude in a suit at the table and he's their manager through most of the movie until Freddie throws like a post NyQuil hissy fit in a limo yeah played by aiden gillen from game of thrones he's not young but john reed the actual john reed who became queen's manager was 26 when he took the band over he had only managed elton john before and that was because he had just started managing met elton john at a christmas party and they hooked up and moved in together and he was his client not saying he's not a good manager but he wasn't like a suit sitting down at the table with them, telling them, like, I'm going to tell you how the music business works. Like, he was a character in and of himself. And I really feel like he could have added to the story if you had let him be Elton John's ex, who's this young guy who knows how this business works. Like, that's a much more interesting character than this old suit who is not a true representation of what John Reed was to their career. Yeah, John Reed even came out to Freddie Mercury, and Freddie Mercury came out to him before he came out to his own band, which is interesting that they didn't put that in the film. Right? This is another example of a wildly theatrical moment that took place in the life of this band that the movie just doesn't do and makes some fake ones instead. There are so many crazy things that happen in the life of Queen that they just do not use the fact that freddie mercury had gotten into a screaming match with his boyfriend right before saturday night live and had had no voice almost going all the way up to the performance Mm -hmm. the fact that they played in apartheid south africa when that was essentially banned they played in the eastern Bloc of the soviet union just all these crazy things that are from the real life of the band (laughs) that are so theatrical and so dramatic and they just choose not to use them it's so frustrating it is extremely frustrating isn't it i just don't know why they want to lie to us don't <laughs> you let me one of the taglines for the movie is the music you know the story you don't I think that's what frustrates me the most about this is because that's not the story. And now a lot of people think it is. The reason why we don't know the story is because that's not the story. Yeah, you just lied to us, movie. (laughs) Nobody knows that story. (laughs) I still don't know the story. I had to do a lot of research to know the story. (laughs) Nobody knows the story because you just made up that story. The lies. The lies. No escape from reality. All right, JC, what's your second fix? This movie ties everything into Live Aid, but not only does it tie everything into Live Aid under kind of false pretenses, Mm -hmm. it ties up all of Freddie Mercury's loose ends in what seems like a morning. 
oh my god i can't get that much done in a week (laughs) and that's all before he puts on the show of a lifetime i i cannot process this yeah in what seems like the moments leading up to live aid it seems like he comes out to his band about aids he goes and asks out jim hutton the person who said come find me when you like yourself he meets up (laughs) with his family and tells his father that he is doing this benefit for the greater good and makes his parents all happy he meets up with Mary Austin and her husband and is cool with them. And then he goes and yeah, does a performance of a lifetime and suddenly everyone's donating to hunger in Africa. Mm -hmm. The whole thing feels so hollow, contrived. And the reason why it feels that way is this biopic makes everything so nice and neat. Every time there's a conflict, there's a new song around the corner or some kind of reconciliation around the corner and every Everything is tied up in little pretty bows in this movie. The problem with that is that you know that that's not how life works. Life is dirty and there's a lot of gray areas and not every loose end gets tied up into a tidy bow. And to have all of Freddy's conflicts and demons and transgressions and his mistakes all tied up into a nice bow all in one day was quite honestly ridiculous. I find it insulting as a moviegoer that you think that I'm going to accept that that's what happened on this particular morning. Like his five errands for the morning were to reconcile with everyone he knows. Mm -hmm. Do you know how bad London traffic is? This is impossible. (laughs) (laughs) And here's where I'm going to fix this whole movie. Act one, it's early struggles, and then Bohemian Rhapsody hits. Mm-hmm. Act two is the band dealing with success and kind of falling apart, and also doing the falling apart the right way. Freddie Mercury was not the first person in the band to make a solo album. That was Roger Taylor. Brian May also had a solo album. They were all doing solo albums. They were all struggling. They had unsuccessful albums during that time, too. Their biggest hit during that time was Radio Gaga, and... I want Live Aid to be them coming back together. And I still want the whole Live Aid performance. Yes, please. That's the end of Act 2. You're at a high and then Act 3 happens. And Act 3 is they're back on track. They're making albums again. Everything is great. And then Freddie Mercury has his AIDS diagnosis. And Act 3 of this movie is all of those things that are tied up into those neat little bows, but done in a much more melodramatic way. He's dying. His bond has never been stronger with his band. He just wants to make music until the day he dies. They know he's going through chemotherapy, but he's still dragging himself into the studio every day. All he wants to do is make music. He's in love with his boyfriend. That is his boyfriend all the way up until the day he dies. And I want to have the moment where he does pass away. There's a lot of really famous footage of him. He's making uh, one of their final songs, one of their final music video. These are the days of our lives where he just looks really sick. He tells his girlfriend, Mary Austin, his longtime best friend, that he's leaving his entire estate to her, which he does in real life. He announces to the world that he has AIDS the day before he dies. And I want the end of the movie to be the Freddie Mercury tribute concert for AIDS awareness that was held in April of 1992 at Wembley Stadium. 72,000 people in the in the audience broadcast live on TV and radio to 76 countries around the world with an audience of up to 1 billion. The profits of that concert were used to launch the Mercury Phoenix Trust, which was an AIDS charity organization. And I thought that that would be an outstanding fitting end to this movie. And that's my final fix. Thank you.
Do you have any final thought, Lady One? Yeah, I do. Mike Myers, get out of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> he's distracting in every movie he's in where he's not the star. He was also very distracting to me in the movie Inglorious Bastards. It's so distracting. Honestly, apart from the fact that he is a distracting human being whenever he is acting, this is too meta for me. I'm part of the generation that really heard about Queen from watching Wayne's World, and to have him in this just it's too comedic. The lines with him, the way they show him during the Live Aid concert, like back at the same desk that he was at when he had that meeting with them, like more than five years ago he's still sitting there he still looks exactly the same like it just it didn't fit the tone of the movie it was just way too silly and distracting everyone in this movie always looked the same age just with different haircuts Dude, it's so true not everyone had a different haircut brian may held on to that look the whole movie he's still holding on to that look to this day it's just white <laughs> Do you have a final thought? I do. It also involves Mike Myers. The scene where they're trying to explain what they're going to do for their next album, and it's A Night at the Opera, Mm -hmm. and he plays the opera album for everyone, and he's like, opera. (laughs) Yep. And the band's like, yeah, we want to do something different. First of all, A Night at the Opera came from the name of a Marx Brothers movie, which they had watched during their recording of that album. In fact, their next album was called A Day at the Races, which is another <laughs> Marx Brothers title. Like, did they like walk a horse into the EMI office and be like, our next album is horses? Like, <sighs> this movie is so egregious in its fictional accounts and its fictional portrayals of everything that's happening. So I guess without further ado, I guess we should consider this film Screen why don't you send us home, Lady One? If you'd like to reach us here at the show, you can send an email to screenfixpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook. We're at ScreenFixPod. You can listen to the show on Spotify, Libsyn, Google Play, Stitcher, or Apple Podcasts where you can rate, review, and subscribe. And if you're enjoying the show, please tell a friend. Yeah, be a part of the show. Tell us the fixes you liked. Tell us the fixes that you didn't like. Tell us your fixes. Don't stop me. Nah. You can also donate to our Patreon account. Uh, We have dreams of keeping the show going forever and opening a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting, movie marathons, and film festivals, and all that great stuff that we love because we love movies. We don't fix them because we hate them. We fix movies because we love them. We can't stop talking about them. We just can't. Mm -mm. I tried. All right, let's end the show with Another One Bites the Dust because another show has just bitten the dust. Hit it, lady one. Do-do-do-do. Do 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 Steve walks warily down the street with the brim pulled way down low Ain't no sound but the sound of his feet Machine guns ready to go Are you ready? Hey, are you ready for this? Are you hanging on the edge of your seat? Out of the door where the bullets rip to the sound of the beat Do 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 Another one bites the dust All right, everybody, that's been an episode of Screen Fixed. Stay tuned next week when we will most likely be fixing Overlord. All right, bye, everybody. Bye.